0: The following podcast is part of the Joy Road Media family. Enjoy. Minnesota may be the land of 10,000 lakes, but we have 11,000 and guess what? 5 of them are great. It's Great Lakes Celebrates with your host Elena Gonzalez. Every week we celebrate noteworthy Michiganders. I'm Mike Bobbitt. Think of me as the salt in your better made. And she's the bubbles in your burners. It's Elena Gonzalez! Hi, Mike. Hello, there you are again. <laughs> you cut me off even in a hello where I was like
1: ah. I, uh, <laughs> I I feel I don't I don't know how I feel. I am I'm always happy to see your face and I'm always happy to record, but this is a bit of a it's a bit of a milestone and it's it's exciting. This is the the last episode of the season.
0: I know. This has been a lot of fun.
1: We did a whole season of shows and mm-hmm. it, that's again it's exciting but it's we're going to take a break for a little bit but it's like what's what's going to come for season 2? What's going to happen next? Look at all the people that we've talked to, look at all the music that we've listened to. It's it's a bit of a of an introspective feeling. Yeah. I have. And, and like I told you
0: pre pandemic, I have wanted to podcast with you for a very long time. Yes. Because we do come from similar backgrounds. Yes. And you are absolutely charming and delightful and insightful. And I have had a blast getting to be your Andy Richter.
1: Oh, and I have had an amazing time learning so much more about you and all of your fun stories <laughs> uh, a lot of you don't don't know this but we record at at Mike's house so every time we do one of these, I get to see his lovely and beautiful and talented wife and his gorgeous son and just we sit and talk and it's just been I have had a great time being your much shorter and a little chubbier Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what?
0: You can spend more time out in the sun than he can.
1: That is true. Yeah, That is very true. Not much, but part of it is that I am so much shorter. So by the time the sun gets to me... <laughs> I don't me, think that's the way that works. <laughs> no, that's how my dad told me it works. No. You know, and the same thing with the rain. He sees the rain much sooner than I do. Um, so... <laughs> I figured we would finish off our our summer of of family fun adventures with the Saginaw Children's Zoo. So Ooh, here's I've never been. here's a place that that I think you should you should take Benji. So and I can leave them there. Yes, you okay. can leave them there. That's that's what it is. It's a children's zoo. Like that you just drop them perfect off. Perfect. Because and, uh,
0: sometimes I'm scared that we gave birth to an evil child because he likes to go for eyeballs. Oh. And I was telling a comedian friend about that and he was like, what are you watching? Like we're watching Dario Argento movies with him or something, which is not the case. I have no idea why he wants to take eyeball. I'm scared in 15 years, there are going to be a bunch of bodies found all across the Metro uh-huh. Detroit area with missing eyeballs, and then Allison and I will have to go. Well, do we turn them in or what? Yeah,
1: which would be which would be worse? Here's a here's a would you rather uh, that may get edited out. But would it be worse that someone else finds the bodies that are missing eyeballs, and you just know, <laughs> or you're cleaning his room one day and you find the eyeballs?
0: Well. You and I both have sons, and we know <laughs> that eventually we're going to find something more unsettling than a <laughs> mason jar full of eyeballs in our sons' rooms.
1: Yes, that is that is very We'll very just true. keep
0: it clean by leaving it at that.
1: Yes, yes. So the children's
0: zoo. <laughs> so the children's zoo.
1: Yes. Uh, so the children's zoo uh, up in Saginaw is great because not only do they have like every zoo, animal exhibits that you can see. Mm-hmm. But they have so much more interactive things. So there Ooh. is like a, a section with an old car that the kids can climb in and pretend to drive. There oh, is wow. A, like a, a sandbox fossil dig area that they can get in and play in. Um, I know that, that Benji is, is really big into trains. They have um, an area where um you can be a conductor of sorts you can you can go up into the tower um and watch the train come over the tracks oh Uh, you can ride the train there's just there's so much more that um that is focused on kids there's a couple different playgrounds we'll wrap it up i gotta go there yes yes (laughs) Um, So highly, highly recommend. Um, And uh, as you're spending the day in in Saginaw, take a, a quick little hop, skip and a jump over to Flint. And they're doing an event there called Factory Two. And it's a community maker space. Uh, On July 20th, they're going to have 10 artists who are going to show off various crafting techniques. So if you ever wanted to make a guitar or make some stained glass or learn how to screen print, you can do all of that (laughs) for free at this event. Yeah, they're going to have late a fret refreshments um you can interact with the artists you can learn about what they're doing um and yeah it will all be happening on july 20th if you can't make it that day um they do have everything up on their website uh which is factory2.org everything spelled out where you can t-w-o yes good call good call um where you can sign up for for classes so um they do leather crafting classes and kimono making classes like everything that you ever wanted to learn about making stuff um will be will be going on so the exact season wrap presents should we make each
0: other great lake celebrates kimonos
1: i never thought of that before but the answer is yes okay we should it's either Um, that or a leather bracelet I'm so glad you entered that sentence with bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> so the Maker Fair will be held July 20th from 5 to 7. And like I said, everything is available on their website, factorytwo.org. The screen printing in
0: particular sounds really neat. When I was in high school, we had a thing called COVEC, which I think is now called OTEC. Okay. Where you could go and learn a trade. And I never did that. And I think trade schools are possibly more important than colleges these days yes. and i would love to learn how to do something like that
1: yes the satisfaction not only from a career perspective but to have a skill that is that is marketable and and you know, you can, you can point to, but the satisfaction of being able to do that with your hands. I was a glass blower for a few years, hobby wise. You know, I didn't have all the stuff at my house or anything. I went to a studio, but I look now at a bowl that I keep my keys in and it's so like I made this and I can look at it every single day when I drop my keys in it and I go, I've made that and it is so satisfying and uh, yeah i i strongly recommend i'm so excited that after 14 episodes i just learned something
0: new about you <laughs> that is so cool yeah it's that's you're even more talented than
1: i thought like 5 minutes ago <laughs> That's well, amazing. Then we should hurry up and get to this interview before I let you down. Okay. <laughs> so the person, I'm so glad that we're, we're ending our season um, with her because we've talked a lot this season about people doing great things or people who have gone through hardships and then want to pay it forward or artists. And Julia really kind of combines all of those things. So Ooh, she, that's a perfect finale. Yeah, she is focusing on youth mental health. Um, which is so important just as a standalone. But her passion and creativity in the ways that she connects with these kids is off the chart. She's currently working on a program called We Need to Talk. And she's a coordinator at the Jewish Family Services of Metropolitan Detroit. Uh, But she's going to explain more of that. But just like I said, the way that she connects with these kids and how important... You know, after everything with the pandemic and being a teenager is hard enough to really focus on on youth mental health is...
0: Yeah, especially in times like this when a lot of kids, their lives have been turned completely upside down in a way that we can't relate with them to. We didn't have a pandemic when we were growing up. Right. And wow, that... It's timely and important. That is great. Yes. So here is Julia.
2: Hi, Julia. How are you? I am good. How are you? Good. Thank
1: you so much for taking some time to sit down and chat with us. I've really been so excited to talk to you because I've been reading... About all of the amazing work that you are doing in and around uh, mental health, and that is something that is very near and dear to my heart and my brain and and all other parts of me. How did you get started down that path?
2: Yeah, I think it probably started being like a teenager and being mm-hmm. that person that everyone came to and. Mm having, you know, friends and peers and family members who were struggling and just kind of, I don't know, feeling like I was just a natural at being that person that people came to. And so I kind of started thinking of, you know, what I wanted to do post-graduation. And I knew, you know, something with psychology or, you know, helping others in some way. And mm-hmm. I think social work I found and ended up being just a perfect fit, honestly. Um, I don't know that I totally knew what I was getting into- <laughs> <laughs> um, Do
1: we ever? <laughs>
2: but it, yeah, no. Uh, but it ended up being a, a really good fit for me. And so, yeah, that's how I'm here. That's so great. And how
1: did you, when you found social work, did, was it instantly with, with children? Or did you, uh, how did you start that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I have always, I always knew I wanted to work with kids. And to be honest, like, at first, I think I wanted to be a teacher. And then I wanted to be like a juvenile justice attorney. Like I had all these iterations. But like the common theme was, I want to work with children, specifically mm-hmm. at risk children. And so I yeah, so I don't know how they do it at, at University of Michigan? There's different tracks, and so they okay. had one specifically for children, youth, and families. And I was like, "Yep, that's that's me." Um, so I kind of always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I don't know. I'm probably one of the rare folks where I'm like, "Yes, I I love working with teens. Like, bring it on." <laughs>
1: Yes, I know uh, I've had many discussions with my own friends who are parents of teenagers and uh, they love them. They don't necessarily always love working with their own teams when you start working with a new, what is the what is the proper term here? Uh, because I realize that my brain is deciding between childs, young adults. What is the appropriate terminology for the, the people that you're working with? What do you go yeah, with? Yeah,
2: I don't know that there is a right one. I think okay. I tend to, to go with youth okay um because it's kind of all encompassing um but i have found that there's so much overlap between like children and then preteens and teens yeah. and young adults i know sometimes are up to like 40 so it's very right. hard like i think yeah so i i just tend to use like youth and young adults but that's maybe not the correct terminology (laughs) well
1: that is that is what we will that is what we will go with so when you start working with with someone new i always i look at relationships that i've had with my own therapists or counselors in the past and trust is such uh, is such a key element to building that initial relationship. What are some things that you've found success with in initially creating that first step?
2: Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think teens, especially, can detect when we are mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. being genuine and authentic. And so I think I really try to meet them where they are at. And sometimes it requires getting creative. You know, a lot of the time, some of my work has been, you know, working in, in the community. Um, Mm -hmm. so meeting folks, whether it's in their home or wherever, and like some of your best conversations can be, you know, in a car, um, you know, going Mm -hmm. for a walk. (laughs) Um, and obviously you want to, you know, make sure about confidentiality and all of that thing, but often teens don't want to sit in a room and, and stare at you, you know? And so just finding ways of figuring out like what, what works for you and what feels comfortable for you. And I think just being just really real. And so like having a sense of humor and acknowledging when we maybe don't have all of the answers, they don't need another adult, you know, telling them what to do. Right. Um, But I think you can help empower them to to think through their challenges and understand what their options and choices are and like encourage and empower them to, to make those decisions in their own life that's a
1: really great way to phrase it is, is focusing on, on self-empowerment because I think that, that at least from my perspective, when I look at my generation, when I was a teenager and some of the discussions that I see, you know, like I said, my, my peers are having, you know, they have teenagers and, and even older. Cause I was a, I was, I was one of those uh, late bloomers had a nice little fun geriatric pregnancy. So I'm, I'm a little behind the eight ball there, I, but
2: they need to change the name of that.
1: I know the it's so <laughs> horrible. Oh, but it did give me uh, five minutes in my stand-up set. So I will, I will take that, but I see some of the discussions that they're having that I would have never thought to have with my mom or with an adult, or honestly, even with some of my friends and just to, to see that change is really, it's it makes me very hopeful about uh, some of the stigmas uh, surrounding mental health that, you know, just starting that conversation and really empowering the young adults, the teenager, the child, the youth, the whatever, to to recognize within themselves and try to give them the vernacular to explain what's going on. Because I feel like there was, there were years that it was just all kind of, of a blur. It was a lot of hormones and confusion. And then the next thing I know, I'm 20. And so I'm, I'm really glad that you're opening that door, especially for, for kids that really have, I don't want to put it lightly by saying this, but really have a lot on their plate. So kudos to you. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: How did you get involved with the um, Jewish family service?
2: Yeah. So I think, For me, I was so excited about the opportunity when I saw, you know, the job posting of being able to combine my passion for clinical work and then to combine that with like community work and the community engagement and changing systems. And so it just seemed like a really exciting new opportunity to really create this initiative. Uh, Well, it's not, and I would say it wasn't i didn't cre- you know create it mm-hmm. it's been around since 2016 but what happened was it moved essentially from from one agency to another so with that move it was kind of this opportunity to to kind of make it what we you know make it anew um and kind of take what was
1: and is that the the we need to talk initiative yeah tell me a little little bit more about what that actually entails
2: yeah so um So we need to talk as a community-wide youth mental health initiative of the Detroit Jewish community and what we do essentially is there's three pillars. One is um, like awareness and education. Mm-hmm. There's a training component, and then also improving access um, to mental health services. So back in 2016, um, a community needs assessment of the mm-hmm. Jewish community was of uh, the Detroit Jewish community was completed, and they saw that youth were really struggling, high prevalence of depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts. So kind of what happened was all of the communal professionals came together um, and kind of put their heads together to figure out what they can do to address this. And I think that was pre-COVID. And so we know, you know, the youth mental health crisis has only gotten, I think, worse over the last couple of years. So I'm gr- grateful that I feel like our community was so a- kind of ahead of its of its time, really. Um, I mean, it it was needed then, but even more needed now. So the fact that, you know, the infrastructure was there and we were able to kind of adapt to like virtual programming and finding out ways of continuing to do this work throughout the pandemic when I feel like the services were probably more important than ever. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So we do a lot of community events, uh, working to reduce stigma, uh, a lot of different trainings, specifically around, like, suicide prevention, Uh, and then uh, through the initiative, we were able to increase access through um, supporting school social workers through the Hebrew day schools, a social worker in one of our youth groups, as well as the summer camp, and then also a child psychiatrist through JFS, so being able to just kind of create more mental health support available and hopefully easier to access. Um, Because we know there's a shortage of mental health professionals, there's many wait lists, sometimes like insurance and other things can be a huge barrier. Mm -hmm. So being able to, you know, have a social worker in the school um, is huge
1: what's the age range that you're that you're working with in in the we need to talk initiative
2: yeah so initially it was really focused on teenagers but I think one of the things that I think again you know bringing in my own personal experience I had a I became a mom um, January 2020 so right before congratulations thank you thank you right before the pandemic and so I and I struggled I think going through, you know, that postpartum period specific, like, especially in lockdown and quarantine without a lot of support, I, I struggled. And so I realized, and I think kind of it birthed this whole new passion for also supporting new parents and parents. And so uh, I ha- I have thought like, it would be nice if we started as young as zero, like, let's, let's support the parents, because we know that if parents are doing well, if they're taking care of their mental health, if they have the tools and supports that they need, if they're okay, then they can help their children. Um, and so like you have, I think that's the difference, I think, in clinical work with mm-hmm. kids is it's not just a kid, right? Like they have parents, they have caregivers, they have family systems. And so making sure we're taking care of the whole family and whatever that looks like, because for the kid to to be well, we need the whole family to be well. And so, yeah, so I, we, we've started doing like a little bit more of the like early childhood stuff and then um, kind of even expanding the upper end to include college age students, because we know, especially going to college is a huge transition. and it's incredibly important, you know, that our, our college students um, also have the support that they need, especially in, in if they've moved and they're in a new place and they maybe don't have that support right. system that they have at home, knowing um, that they can at least fall back on, on us is important.
1: Oh, that's so, so great and, and absolutely warms my heart. When I had my son, it, it's one of those things that I've, you know, it's fairly, it's it's common knowledge, you know, that 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 when a when a baby is born, they look to their to their environment to learn, you know, it's it's how they learn language, it's how they learn gestures and physicalities and all of that. Because they are a total blank slate, but there is something about witnessing it happen that really shined a spotlight on it for me and made it so much more clear. Like you said, it's not just about spending that, you know, half an hour or an hour with a four-year-old every week and expecting that to be enough because they're going to get from their siblings and from their, their aunts and uncles and their, their teachers or whatever, because they are sp- sponges or, or aliens or, you know, whatever it is, they don't, they don't, they don't have a base and we are, we are creating their base for them. So that's, that's really good for you. Also, you know, just a, a year or two ahead of you, I know how I struggled in the pre-pandemic time. I couldn't imagine what must have looked like in your world. And how were you able to, to separate that? So you've got this monumental, life-changing moment. You are unbelievably passionate and focused on on helping others. And now you need to shut down and you need to focus on yourself and you need to focus on your baby how did you balance that all in the middle of a pandemic?
2: Not well, no. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you can relate to this too, but I think I had no choice but to reprioritize. I Mm -hmm. think, you know, I think I was that, you know, classic workaholic, like long yeah. days on call all the time, always working. And I I had like I had to make changes because all of a sudden, like this little person is the most important. Um, yeah. and I needed to take care of myself, you know, going back to that so that I could could take care of him. And so I did, you know, I came to to Jewish family service in I think it was June of 2021. Okay. I to say yes. And that was, you know, I'm so grateful to have found that because it was just an incredible opportunity, but also just the flexibility and the support. That's and- nice like just such a an amazing work environment and it just like it changed like everything for me like it was like okay like I'm coming out of out of the darkness Uh I'm I'm myself again you know that that feeling of I don't know just yeah the the darkness lifting and being like okay so I I feel like I got to do like work that I was passionate about but there was the ability to have self-care and boundaries and like all of those things and I was able to prioritize myself and my family something that I was, you know, had been previously kind of struggling to figure that piece out. And so it really all worked out, but it like required some real soul searching and some tough, tough decisions. And I'm just grateful to have, you know, kind of found where I fit. (laughs) No, that is,
1: that is great. And I think that that's another benefit of opening up these discussions and, and focusing on removing some of that stigma around the importance of mental health, no matter what age you are or what path in life you are on. And I really think that on a whole that we're thinking more about that as we, as we all come out of the pandemic and we're making career choices and we're making those plans about, you know, where we're going to live and what we're going to connect to virtually and what our network is going to look like, but setting those boundaries for ourselves and and not being afraid to speak up and all going back to that empowerment of being self-aware with what you need to, to thrive. So
2: good for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
1: I see in your bio that you are a certified youth mental health first aid trainer. Now, when yes. I think of first aid, I think Band-Aids and gauze. What does that mean from a mental health perspective?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I just did a youth mental health first aid training today. So um, yeah, Perfect so it's, timing. it's essentially right first aid for mental health. So um, a training for adults that will interact or will you know work with or encounter youth, so pretty much anyone, mm-hmm. and giving them the tools they need if that youth were to experience any sort of mental health challenges or crisis and kind of what would that look like to intervene in that moment and get them connected with whatever help they need? So just like if you are doing first aid, you're going to administer the first aid while you wait for, you know, the ambulance or the paramedic to come. Okay. It's similar of, you know, what is the the interventions you would do to keep a youth safe for now while we wait, you know, for, or while we connect them with additional services or we, you know, and it may be that we need to connect them with emergency services.
1: So in that scenario, are you training other co-workers at JFS are you training teachers are you training parents what's the what's the audience that you're working with
2: yeah so the great thing is it's it's been a mix um so oh, nice. they are open to the community um, and then even through the Jewish community there's this kind of a, a national community of practice so I've been able to like co-train with trainers from around the country so I've just trained I think they were in the east coast some where were they I can't even remember but um I want to say it was like New York or something today um just being able to connect with Jewish professionals throughout the country but at least here in the in the uh, metro Detroit area we've trained you know rabbis teachers uh mental health professionals parents um and there's even um, a teen mental health first aid which I don't I haven't been trained Mm -hmm. in that yet, but I know some of our youth have gone through that. So it's actually training teens how to provide peer support to one another. So knowing that teens often turn to each other first mm-hmm. before they would maybe come to a social worker or an adult um so how do you as as a teenager respond to another teen who's struggling so yes it's 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 been really nice and a really awesome way to connect with the community and I think thinking of like the ripple effect of it mm-hmm. all right like you train one person but think about how many like youth yeah. they might impact and then how like if we can help someone and then kind of what trickle that like a trickle effect that exactly. makes Um, in in their world. So it's, it's every person that we train, I feel like is just another person in our community that we can rely on to help keep our youth safe.
1: And that's so great. And it's, it becomes a generational ripple as well, because if, as that, as that young person is receiving that care and receiving that support, that is the memory that is burned into their brain. So as they grow older and then they are in the support position, that's what they remember and replicate. And so that, that's the positive cycle that we need to focus on. So if someone wants to learn more about the training or they want to learn more about we need to talk, where should we send them? Yeah,
2: so um, for Youth Mental Health First Aid, you can just look into Google. It'll bring you to the National Council for Behavioral Health, their website. They have Youth Mental Health First Aid, Teen Mental Health First Aid, and Adult Mental Health First Aid. And those are only a few of the suicide prevention trainings that exist. Um, Living Works is another organization that does great training. I know we have some trainers in our community that train in one of theirs called Safe Talk, which is a three-hour suicide prevention training. Um, And I think they also have a a more in-depth two-day one as well. So if anyone's interested in suicide prevention training, there's so many great trainings out there. But then for We Need to Talk specifically, you can find us on the web at www.wn2t.org for We Need to Talk. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook trying to find our way on TikTok, but <laughs> not really there yet. I know, right? Like yeah. here you have, you know, a 30-year-old trying to do TikTok. It's not pretty, but.
1: <laughs> that's that's the story of it. That's how it goes. And by the time you figure it out, there will be something new. So, right. uh, so good luck, with, good luck with that. We will make sure to have all of those URLs linked in the body of this podcast. Thank you so very much, Julia. I really, really appreciate this chat and uh, and genuinely, thanks so much for everything that you're doing out there.
2: Oh no, thank you for having me Wow,
0: that was a
1: good interview to go out on. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how great Michiganders are and I think what I've found kind of consistent, no matter what aspect they're they're a part of or what their what their job is or what their passion is, it really comes down to being genuine. Yeah. And that's that's what I think comes through in all of these people is that they genuinely believe in what they're doing. And yeah. it's it's been really great. I've
0: genuinely enjoyed getting to show people how great Michigan is. I was a guest on Mark Maron's WTF podcast many years ago, mm-hmm. and he just wanted to know what was up with Michigan mm-hmm. and I think in his mind thought it was this post-apocalyptic <laughs> uh, uh-huh. toxic Avenger type RoboCop wasteland. Uh-huh. And if there's anything that people can take away from this podcast, it is, that's not what Michigan is. Mm-hmm. Michigan is full of amazing artists and amazing human beings. Yes. I want to close the season with uh we played one of his bands before, Steve Reddy. Mm-hmm. I told the story of how I met him at a comedy oh, show. Yeah, and we're that keeping guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're keeping things up in the Flint Saginaw area. Like I said, he's in every third band <laughs> from that area. <laughs> this is his band Rats of Unusual Size and I'm kind of playing this one on my own. I'm going Maverick on Ooh. this because uh, I like so much of his music, mm-hmm. but this band in particular is really up my alley. This is their song Elephant Man. And thank you again, everyone, for joining me and Elena on Great Lake Celebrates. On behalf of both of us and our producer, Angie Amon, keep being great, Michigan. <laughs> how, am I, how are we closing this? <laughs> Help me out here. Don't just sit there laughing at me. (laughs) Help me.
1: Uh, I'm not
0: editing this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for celebrating with us.
0: Ooh. That's why you're the host. (laughs)